How's everybody doing? All right, all right, all right. Thanks uh, again for being up at Uncle Scotchy's Storytelling Extravaganza, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we have a nice lineup tonight. Uh, we had a great storyteller last week that was here from Chicago, and I normally don't let people go back to back, but he was awesome. Somebody canceled, and uh, he's going back to Chicago later this week. So for his second time, ladies and gentlemen, give a warm welcome to Soda Gardaki. I'm going to sit down like I did last time. It's easier on me. Um, yeah, I'm here because uh, I was supposed to play on Monday, but they moved it to tonight at Tobacco Road, so if anybody wants to go, it starts at 10 after this. Sorry about Nancy. We'll come back here and drink. Um, I don't know where Harold is or Bruno. Is Harold here? Well, we have a couple of announcements. Scotchy, when it's croquetta shirt, one of my favorite foods, one of my favorite places. They're sponsoring his podcast now, so congratulations on that. And a big round of applause for Harold, who got a new phone. <laughs> All right? And Bruno. And uh, thanks to Miss Casey, who's the regional manager back there at the Metro PCS. So I'll make a little money for spreading that. Uh, you got a side hustle when you're on a trip and you're broke. Okay, I didn't know what story to tell because I told the story about my grandma last week. I'm like, shit, I don't know what to talk about. I always just talk about women or guitars. Nobody wants to talk about guitars. It's boring. Harold, again, congratulations on your new phone. And don't lose those glasses. So if he owes you any money, you can text him and he'll text you back eventually. Let's see. Okay. So, yeah, and I ended with my grandma. She's a nice Catholic lady, and her motto was, I like my booze strong, I'm a man weak. We'll start again there. Which then leads me to about six years old. I was about five, maybe six, first grade, and I had to go to Catholic school. But every day during the summer, I started making this trip on my bike. I'd pack it up like a, I had to go to work or something, or I was going to a gig. Before I even knew what gigs were, I'd make all this shit and food and bring it with me. And I'd go visit these ladies, and they lived really far away. And there was four of them. And I don't know how old they were, because I was a little kid, but they were all really pretty. And they'd smoke these long cigarettes and leave lipstick and do crosswords and drink coffee and, like, just laugh and tell stories. And I'd just sit with them all day, and eventually they'd be like, our husbands are coming home. You have to leave. I'm like, okay. I'll see you guys tomorrow? They're like, yeah. Went on all summer. I go to a grocery store with my mom. And this will shift into the next part. Sorry, I have ADD. I said it last time. So I go to the grocery store, and I'm with my mom. We're about 10 miles from the house. I'm like five or six. I was six because I would have been starting first grade. So we're about 10 miles from the house, and we're in a grocery store. And I'm a little kid. And these ladies go, they're like, there he is, Tommy. And I started yelling my name. My mom's like, you know them? And I was like, yeah, those are my friends. <laughs> and they come up, and my mom and them start talking. And she's like, how do you know him? They're like, oh, he's over every day. He comes and sits with us, and he mows the lawn, and he hangs out. He makes coffee. This is when I started drinking coffee and shit, and smoking probably. But she's like, oh, where do you live? And then they said, and it was 10 miles from home. I used to ride my big wheel all the way there. I'd get up early. My mom's like, do you know where we live? And they're like, oh, my God, he rides so far. <laughs> and they're all like, 
holy shit, he's been doing this all summer. And then one of the ladies is like, well, I'll give him a ride. And, like, they missed me. So this is the beginning of why I love women. Because women make you, and they can take you out of the world. So never fuck with them. And then, so I start school, and I think, okay, after this, I know all these ladies. I like my grandma. She smokes. I like these ladies. But I went to Catholic school, and I had, like, six nuns, six penguins, mean as fuck, all Italian. And I shouldn't have cussed. I'll get in trouble. But they'd hit you in the hands and smack your hands with the finger, minus my bent finger and you get in a lot of trouble and so I was always getting in trouble and I'm like oh these fucking penguins man it's bringing me down it's really bringing me down I hate going to school and they would talk and giggle behind my back and I didn't know that there was a movie called The Omen and I didn't know who Damien was but I had the same haircut so somehow they called me little Damien I did not know this and my hair was getting so long you couldn't see my eyes and they were afraid of me because they couldn't see my eyes so they cut my hair one day but they were looking at my scalp, and now I realize they were looking for the mark of the beast. But they cut my hair with a bowl, and I came home, my mom's like, what happened to your hair? And I'm like, the penguin ladies cut it, you know? She's like, they're nuns. I'm like, yeah, I know, but whatever. They cut my hair. So she went, and they had a, they didn't fight. They just talked or whatever, and they came out, and I had a weird haircut for a while. And I didn't like them. I thought they were mean. But then one day, there, there was this nun, and she was tall, and she was a redhead, and she was very beautiful, like a pinup girl. She had a tight pink dress, and she smelled like perfume. And I did not know any of what any of this meant. But when she walked by, I was like, mm-hmm, fuck. And I had to ask. I asked my mom, I'm like, why does that one not dress in the penguin suit? You know, why is she not dressed up like a nun? And she's like, mm, never mind. And I'm like, don't tell me never mind. Like, why does she get to be different? Which I guess the story is it's always good to be different, too. And she smells good. Like, I understand it now that I'm older, but I didn't at the time. I'm like, but I really loved her. And I didn't do my homework all year, my math book, so that I would get in trouble. And at the end, when I turned it in, they're like, you didn't do it all year. You have to come to the convent for the whole summer. So I was like... I got to spend the whole summer in the convent with the red-headed nun in the pink dress. It's going to be awesome. It wasn't that awesome. <laughs> Convents are weird, and they're weird ladies. But they're interesting, and they have a lot of chocolate. I know I went through all their fucking drawers. I stole every piece of chocolate, and I ate all the peanut butter, as usual. And I get in trouble all the time. And that nun, she still smelled good. And my story's going to be short, because I have to play. But so we go through it, we go through it, and... They still would check my head, like they were looking for lice, but they were looking for the number of the beast. And <laughs> like they would started calling me little Damien outright, and then I found out who he was, and I was like, oh, well, I see what's going on. You're afraid of me. And so we had a nice summer together. We became friends. And they looked at me one day, and one of the nuns died, and I was like, oh, my God, that's so sad. And they're like, oh, it's okay. She saw heaven before she died. And I was like, say it again. And they're like... She saw heaven before she died. I'm like, and she died? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, then how do you know she saw heaven, you know? <laughs> like, and they're like, again, they do what my mom did. They're like, mm, go away. I'm like, this is fucking wrong. No one's telling me anything. They're just telling, shush me off, you know? And I'm like, this world is weird. Like, why do people just shush me off? So we're in school. We're back in school. It'll be second year. Summer's over. And there's about 600 kids in the school, 700. It's like a small school out in a farm in Illinois. And um, over the PA comes, they call my name, come to the office. And I'm like, fuck, what do I do now? 
And I get down there, and the lady's really mad, and it's a bigger nun, and she's mean. She's like, in the library now. And I'm like, I, I haven't even been to the library. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. She's like, get in there. I get in there, and there's two nuns standing on a table, and there's a snake on the ground. And there's a real snake, and they're screaming. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is really funny, actually. <laughs> and they're way up there, and I'm like, oh, look at them. But I was hoping the one in the pink dress was there, but she wasn't. It would have been cool to see her standing up there in her heels. But I guess we won't talk about that. I'll get in trouble or go to hell. But it would have been interesting. But it was two of them, and they're screaming, and they're screaming, and they're pointing at the snake. And then for a split second, I was like, wow, out of all these people, they called me to catch the snake. What the fuck is this shit? So I pick up the snake, and it's like squiggling all over. And it wasn't poisonous. I knew it. And I grabbed it, and I'm like, I need a box. And they brought me a weird nun's shoe box, like from nun shoes, which is a weird box. Trust me. I've never, I've never seen a box like that again, and it was very weird. And they brought me the box, and I held it up. And I held it at them, and the more closer I got, the more they would scream. They were terrified, and I took it away. And I said, okay, I don't want to get in trouble for this, but I'm going to set it back down because there's a lot of other people here that could catch this. Or the next time you go to yell at me, you let me go for two times free, and I can do whatever I want. <laughs> and, and, and I pushed it again, and they screamed, and I took it back. And then I pushed it again, and they said, fine. And I put it in the box, and I took it home. And that's the end of my story. <laughs> Have a good night. I'll be at Tobacco Road for a little bit. And thanks to the wonderful people at Bar Nancy. Don't forget them to tip them. And if you feel like leaving me a thank you in the bucket, that'd be nice. Thank you. Soda Gardaki, please, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up for Soda. I know he's got to go. Soda, we're gonna, uh, before you split, I'd like to take a quick picture with all the storytellers out back super quick. And then you can split. Yeah, yeah, before you leave, I'd like to get everybody together. Uh, thanks for being so cool. I'm looking forward to all the stories tonight. Give it up again. Say f farewell to Soda. Hopefully you'll see him in a couple months. We've got some plans. We're going to keep this moving before I get too hammered to tell my story. Um, thanks for being here. Everybody knows the rules. Everybody's cool. Uh, thanks again for Bar Nancy for having this. Uh, next next week uh, we're gonna have a special storytelling night. Uh, it's my birthday, and we're gonna have some really good storytellers here. Yeah, I've had I've had enough of them. I I'd skip a year, but it happens to be one, so we're gonna do it. So I hope you guys can make that. That should be interesting. Um, next up, we got a brand new storyteller, ladies and gentlemen. Give him a really warm welcome. His first time here, coming down from Broward to tell this story with Joanna. So uh, storyteller. So Brett Morris, come on up here, do your thing, man. How we doing, guys? How's it going? Gentlemen, do you feel uh, underappreciated about your cock? A little bit? I feel like women don't appreciate you, all right? I want to tell you a story. Uh, back in uh, 2019, you know, before the pandemic started... I broke up with a, uh, a girl in a five-year relationship. And shortly after that, I started doing comedy. And in the summer of 2019, June, right around my birthday, I took a trip to New York and went to a comedy festival called Skank Fest. It's not what you think. It's not what you think. It's a play on words. It was a... Uh, 
Skankfest is a play on words. Uh, if anybody knows, does anybody know the comedian Big J Ogerson? Anybody? A couple of people? He has a podcast called Legion of Skanks. That's what the, the comedy festival was named after, Skankfest. And one of his lesser-known podcasts is called The SDR Show, Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll Show. Right? It's a pretty good show. I love that show. So at the comedy festival in New York, the SDR show was doing a live podcast recording for the producer of the show. Her name is Shannon. Very lovely girl, nice, petite, big boobs, blonde hair, basically perfect. You know what I mean? But the running gag on the show is that she doesn't get laid a lot because she doesn't date very much. So they're always trying to hook her up with dudes, find some way to get her laid. And so their idea for the the comedy festival was to have a live podcast recording where they would have a dating contest. And the dating contest was a spin on the classic dating show called Elimidick. Elimidate. You ever heard of it? Excuse me, I almost gave it away. Elimidate was the original name of the show, and they wanted to put a spin on it, so they called it Elimidick. So people that were fans of the show had to submit a dick pic to the show to be on the dating app. And so I submitted one. I sent them a picture. I, I was cocky as fuck, though. Like... Like I got, I got a pretty decent package. So I sent them, I sent them a dick pic of my dick, and I wrote SDR on my dick with marker, not the regular marker, the chisel point, the big tip marker, the big one, and took a picture with my dick next to the chisel point marker. Yes, yes, confident as fuck. So I got on. I got invited to be on the dating, the dating show at the festival. So I show up to New York City for the comedy festival. Thank you. Thank you. These guys know, these guys know a good dick when they see one. <laughs> so I show up to New York City for the, for the comedy festival. First night, Friday night, is the SDR, SDR podcast recording where they were doing the, the dating show. So me and three other guys, the way they were doing the podcast was that they had a a big giant tarp hanging down with four holes cut in it, and we all just presented our dicks through the holes of the tarp. Yes? You think you ladies are judged? I was being very judged. That's how the entire fucking podcast went. She could never see me. I was in front of her, Big Jay Ogerson, and his uh, co-host, Ralph Sutton, comedy, uh, a former radio host show. So the, uh, the contest had three parts to it. It was a personality contest, a costume contest, and a talent contest with just the dick. <laughs> right? If you've ever seen a dating show, the, the personality contest goes basically like they just ask you a couple questions. Like, 
what do you do for work? Where do you live? Does your penis always look like that? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I've never been shoulder to shoulder with three other guys with my dick out. I'm a little nervous right now. <laughs> I've never been in a fraternity or the military. I've never had to get an erection next to three other guys. I'm sorry. It's, it's fucking hard. <laughs> yes. But, but I had just ended a four and a half year relationship. So I was in it to win it, right? I showed up there with costumes. I showed up there with fucking talent contests. I was trying to win this fucking date with the producer of the show. So when we get to the talent contest, I know the girl Shannon. She loves kind of like the, uh, she likes inmates. You know what I mean? Any, any, any women here ever watch like Life After Lockup? Or like dating an inmate, something like that? That was her thing where she like liked inmates. She wrote a letter as a dare to an inmate. And after the dare was over, she just kept corresponding with the, the, the inmate from the prison. So she had a fantasy of like inmates. So for the talent, con- or I'm sorry, for the costume contest, I dressed my dick up as a prisoner. <laughs> but I'm not good at sewing. So I, I didn't sew a costume. I went to the store and I found like uh, a four pack of socks for toddlers that had like black and white stripes, like the classic, <laughs> yes, not, no, not vertical, not, not vertical like Beetlejuice, horizontal, like the three, like the three stooges. I just cut, <laughs> so if you've ever played with a toddler's feet, it's basically like playing with my flaccid penis, pretty much. <laughs> I made a costume out of a toddler's socks around my penis. I even made a ball with a chain to look like he was on the chain gang. She loved the costume. But what what really but really sold the entire thing for me was the talent competition. Is I I planned a stand-up comedy set around my impression of doing Rodney Dangerfield but as a penis. So I did my impression of Rodney Dangerfield, but I coordinated the jokes around being delivered it as a penis. So, I, so when they asked me, to, what is your talent? I put my dick through the hole with a tie on around my dick. <laughs> and then I started doing my Rodney Dangerfield impression for a stand-up set. You want to hear a couple jokes? I'll do, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do a couple real quick, just to give you the idea. Like, Oh, I get, I get no respect at all. <laughs> I'm sorry. Imagine me invisible with just my dick poking through a hole. Sorry. I have a tie around my penis. That's all you can see. Don't look at my face. Don't look at my face. <laughs> I get no respect at all. <laughs> I just moved into this new apartment. My neighbors are country bunch of old wrinkly assholes <laughs> my landlord he's a real dick <laughs> a 
I'm doing so, so bad at dating. I downloaded this dating app. I thought it was for coffee lovers. Grinder is a false advertising. <laughs> so that was, that was my talent competition. I fucking nailed, I fucking nailed the competition for talent show, right? So the end of the night, I won the entire dating competition. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Beetlejuice. I won the date with Shannon, the producer of the podcast. But it was in the middle of the comedy, con the comedy festival. It was Friday night. It was the first night of the contest, or the first night of the festival. And so I wore that tie around my neck the entire night. as like it was my VIP pass. Like, I just fucking nailed it. So they had to uh, put together the date because I was leaving back for Florida on Monday morning. So they had to put back the, uh, the date for me and Shannon at some time during the festival. So they put it on Sunday evening, the very last day of the festival. And when we finally went out to the date, um, it was Sunday evening, and I was like, all right, the, 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 the date's about to go down. I got to run back to my Airbnb, shave up a little bit in case I have to eat that pussy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and when I got back to the, the Airbnb, I'm like, I lost my, my razor. I don't have it. I must have left it on the plane. I didn't bring it. So I had to run down to the bodega down the street and just get a fucking a razor of some sort to, like, shave up and clean up. Because I was, like, I, I didn't have a beard at that point. I was, like, clean shave, and I had, like, a little bit of a chin strap going on, kind of. You know what I'm saying? And... When I got back to the hotel, I was shaving up with this shitty bodega razor, and I nicked the bottom of my nose. These bodega razors are fucking deadly. They are awful. If you think that the 9-11 uh, the hijackers, like, <laughs> they took the plane with box cutters, no. It was a shitty bodega razor. I would have been better off shaving with a box cutter. But I nicked the bottom of my nose, and I could not get it to stop bleeding. So I'm like 20 minutes away from having the date. I got to go back up to the festival, and my nose is fucking just profusely bleeding. So I'm holding tape paper towels. I'm walking back up to the festival. I get up there. It's, it won't stop bleeding. But I meet up with uh, Ralph and Shannon. We go to go to the date, to the dinner. We walk over there, and the whole time I'm just holding fucking paper towels under my nose, looking like an asshole. We get to the date. It still doesn't stop bleeding. I'm trying to, like, make conversation as if I'm not holding paper towels under my nose. It's going awful. So in the last... It, the date was so bad. Like, it wasn't just me and her at a restaurant. Ralph, the guy that kind of, like, owns the network and was the host of the show, was also there... And who was also there? A couple other comedians were there. So it wasn't just me and her having a date together. It was like me, her, Ralph, a comedian, his girlfriend. It was just, it was just fucking awful. So in the last-ditch effort to try to save the date, like I left in the middle of the date and said, I'm going to go to the bathroom. But I walked out front, walked down to the bodega again, got super glue, 
super glued the fucking cut on the bottom of my nose shut and walked back to the date with no bloody nose to try to pretend like I wasn't doing coke or whatever they were, whatever she was assuming my nose was bleeding for. But ladies, first impressions ruined, right? How do you save a fucking date after that? I could not save the date. Worst part about it, I found out when we were having the date, I missed a random unscheduled drop-in by Louis C.K. at the, the comedy festival. Right? Add insult to injury. So I fucking ruined the date, missed Louis C.K., Still tried to have a good time at the rest of the festival for the rest of the day. But it was already fucking ruined. I can't believe how bad that went. And then to come to find out, like, I left the date in the middle of uh, a Kill Tony. Has anybody ever listened to podcast Kill Tony? It's uh, comedians that come up and do, like, a minute of stand-up. They might get noticed. And I was the very last person to be called to come up to do Kill Tony at the festival. And I completely missed Louis C.K. and my spot to do Kill Tony to do stand-up. And I thought, how could this get any worse, right? So I enjoyed the rest. I just went back to the rest of the festival Sunday night. The very last show was a, uh, what they call the, the goddamn comedy sham, which is comedians doing rock and roll, karaoke, whatever you want to do. And my favorite comedian, Bill Burr, Bill Burr was doing drums for the, the, the set. He, he plays the drums. He does drums pretty well. He's playing the drums. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this is like the last thing. I, I fucking kill him. This is a great fucking night. This is a perfect end to this entire comedy festival. And the guitar player breaks a string. So they need somebody to fill some time while they replace the string to the guitar player. So they're like, hey, Bill Burr, do you want to come up and do like a, an impromptu comedy set? And everyone's cheering. They're fucking loving it. Bill Burr's going to come up unannounced and do some comedy. And I'm way in the back. And I'm like, this is the first thing that I want to record, video record. I haven't taken any video this entire weekend. I've taken a couple pictures, but no videos. And I'm like, oh, my favorite comedian is just going to do an impromptu set. No one's ever going to see this. I just want this for myself. So I start recording while he's doing his set. And a couple seconds into his set, he's like, go. Look at this fucking asshole in the back recording. Why can't you fucking millennials just put your fucking phone down? He fucking calls me out. He calls me out of the entire sea of people. I'm not the only one recording, by the way. I'm just dead center all the way in the back, and he's just fucking focused on me. Be like, yo, this fucking asshole can't even put his fucking phone down for five seconds and enjoy the moment. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is the worst night ever. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I want to give it, give it back up for Scotty.
Give it for Brett, ladies and gentlemen. Give it for Brett. Fucking dick. I don't know how you don't say what happened. You just played it off the whole time. I don't understand if you would. I would say I cut myself shaving trying to look good for my date. Didn't occur to you? you just. <laughs> well, I'm sorry about your day, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that was a funny date. If it wasn't funny, then it wouldn't have been story worthy. So, I seem, I heard that there might be. Uh, I got an information. There might be some people or somebody here that has brought their own alcohol. And if I don't know who it is, I don't fucking care. But if they did, this is a small business, and you can see. Um, they've been supporting me, and uh, as you can see, that's not really, you know, it's not the right thing to do. So just if, you, if you're that person, just buy a fucking drink and stop. I'd appreciate it, okay? Because this place does a lot. It's not cool. Right? They don't go to your work and bring whatever at your work, whatever the fuck that is. But anyway... Uh, this guy came up a couple weeks ago, and like I said, he's an old friend of mine. I hadn't seen him in a while. We're connecting again, which is cool. He did a little... It's very appropriate that he's here tonight, because he did an interview. He was doing a, a project on getting wisdom from older people. And he sat down and took some cool pictures of my dad and interviewed my dad. And I appreciated that. It was before he really declined, and that was a while ago. So thanks for that, Greg. It really meant a lot to me. You see that black and white picture on my IG that I had of my pop that he took that. So it was a really good shot. And I'll always love that about him. I'll always be indebted to him for, for reaching out to my father and listening to him. So even though he didn't know him. And uh, so be nice to this motherfucker. Greg Gibbs, ladies and gentlemen. Come on up, buddy. Good evening, everyone. I want to dedicate this story to the memory of Victor Garcia. Um, that's Eric's father. Definitely falls under the category of the Dos Equis guy, one of the most interesting men that you'll ever meet. Um, I start off the story talking about the one time I actually met him. and. Um, like Eric said, I was doing a project to try to get wisdom from older people. And my question was, like, what is one thing that concerns you about modern times that you didn't have in your time? And what he expressed to me was he was concerned about how all the information was available to the younger people at one time. He described life as seasonal and information was supposed to be given to you in proper timing, the right seasons. And he just was concerned about giving everything to everyone immediately through these phones. And um, of course, the way my mind works, all I could think about was pornography. <laughs> and I thought about growing up now, what it would be like to have every kind of sexual image in my phone, in my pocket at all times? Would I even be able to go to school? Would I be able to concentrate on anything? And then I thought back to my journey, my little perverted journey into pornography through the years and how it was slowly revealed to me. <laughs> um, 
I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in the 80s, and it was a mission to see boobies. Boobies weren't, weren't readily available. The only way you could get, like, maybe a glimpse is if, you know, your homie always had that dad that had his little stash, his Playboy stash. Maybe if he was freaky, it would be a penthouse joint or something like that, but you got a few, like, pages. You couldn't take it home. You just got a little glance, and then you had to go home. And, and those were your boobies, all right? Fast forward to about junior high. Um, I don't know about you guys, but there was always this tape that circulated. Nobody knows where the tape came from. It didn't have any label, but you had it for two weeks, and then you had it for two weeks, and then the other people had it for two weeks. And, you know, I compare it to, like, modern-day times where you can, like, look at different categories and see what you like and everything. No, this tape was the tape, and if you got off, you did. If not, I'm sorry, that's the tape. Usually it had a lot of mustaches, a lot of bushes, you know, hairspray. It was what it was. It was a different time. But like I'm saying, if you wanted to see boobies, you had to be on a mission. Fast forward a little bit later to the video, mom and pop video stores. If you wanted to see boobies, you had to go in the back. And the back always had these saloon doors that were very creaky that would alert everybody that, oh, there's a pervert going back there. <laughs> and not only that, you had to. <laughs> you had to bring whatever you liked to the front, and they had to ring it up, and then, you know, you had to be judged by the clerk and everything about, okay, that guy's into that, and that guy's into that. You couldn't do it from the privacy of your own home with your own phone and, like, you know, get your kink on. <laughs> So our story, I just said that as background to context for my story that happened during the DVD area. I mean, DVD era, if you will. <sighs> I'm kind of embarrassed talking about it, but I was at one of these adult stores because back in the day, you know, you had to put on clothes and shower and get ready and go out and get your boobies. You know, you couldn't just... <laughs> be at home all the time. So I was on one of my missions at the adult bookstore to look for new DVDs. And um, I have to explain how, for all of you who don't remember how it was, how it was set up. It was set up by category. So if you were in this aisle, you were in the X, Y, and Z. If you were in that aisle, you were into that or whatever. But there's specific rules to adult bookstores. You don't make eye contact and you're not loud. And you just get what you want, and then you keep it moving. Um, you know, when I was thinking about this story, I was thinking about, like, there must have been a guy at, like, these porn companies who would come up with titles. I miss these awesome titles that the DVDs used to have. You know, my personal favorite was Cuckoo for Cocoa Cox. <laughs> but this guy... This poor guy doesn't have a job anymore because, I mean, they don't really label them like that anymore. It's so clerical and like, you know, you know. So I say all that to say that I'm in one of your friendly Miami adult bookstores one day. And I'm in my BBW aisle, yes. And um, I notice somebody comes in. 
And um, he's loud, which breaks one of the cardinal rules. Remember, no eye contact and don't be loud. This guy comes in loud, and I notice he's holding a cane. He's blind. And he has a handler. And the way his look on his face was like, you know, he was in Disneyland or something. Like, he was very aware that his handler had brought him to the adult bookstore, and he had this huge smile on his face. But he was, like, almost punking the handler. Like, he was very ungrateful and very rude, which I thought was hilarious. And <laughs> he said, take me to my section that I like. <laughs> Loud as hell. Like, the whole store could hear it. I was like, damn. And he's like, and make sure this time it's anal. And make sure it's black girls. <laughs> and I was like, this can't be happening. No. No, this can't be happening at all. But that experience, he got his, what he wanted, and he went off and was happy and went off to the sunset, but it left so many questions in my head as if, like, wow, sexuality is so much more than the visuals. Like, how does he know that it's anal if he can't see? And, I mean, I know that, you know, sisters make different noises, but... What's going on here? <laughs> Made me think of, you know, sexu sexuality in, like, a much less visual way. And um, in thinking about that story, we go back to <laughs> Eric's father. I think, about <laughs> I think about if I had had all of that information in front of me, I would have never had that experience. Like I said back in the day, you had to be on a mission to see some boobies. <laughs> uh, I thank you all for your time. That's my story. I dedicate this story once again to the memory of Victor Garcia. The man paid for my lunch when I was a broke-ass photographer, and I'll never forget that. <laughs> you all have a good night. Thanks. Yes. My father thanks you from the grave for tying him into the booby story. I shudder to think what my father would have been if he was able to access all the information. Seasons, yes, go boobies indeed. Thanks to all my storytellers tonight. I appreciate it. Mission accomplished again. We had our first dick story, and uh, I think it should be an annual thing. We should just do like four dick stories. I guess we would have to do four vagina stories. Really? Oh. <laughs> they have things too. They have stories. <laughs> Thanks again to Greg for tying my father to 80s porn. Appreciated that. Well done, actually. That was his second story. His first one was great. And he's a really good storyteller. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for that first story. I'm a... I just realized, I just, I was like, I'm just going to go rock this story about my dad because it was his birthday yesterday. And um, I kind of listened to it again. I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot the whole thing. Probably a little bit of the Alzheimer's in my family. So um, I do have some notes I might or might not look at. But here we go. Story about my pop. I think I'm going to need a little apple juice. It's got vitamins. 
my father was Victor Garcia. My father, as Greg said, uh, was the toughest man I ever met. And by tough, I don't mean fighting like he can beat anybody up. He grew up in the streets. He was in plenty of fights, but that doesn't, that doesn't make you tough. And tough as far as being tough on me or cruel to me in any way growing up, he was not. Being cruel to a child doesn't make you tough at all. And um, he was actually very kind. Um, I really got to know... I really got to know um, how tough my dad was later in his life when he got older and the stuff he dealt with with my mother's Alzheimer's and after that his body breaking down and the physical and emotional pain tolerance that he had was really impressive. Um, when he was a kid growing up dirt poor in the streets of Havana, he had a favorite toy, a favorite game that they would play. They would get lighter fluid and they put it in a circle on the ground and they would light it and they would get a scorpion, which apparently was really easy to get in late 1930s, early 40s Cuba. And they would put it inside the flaming circle. The scorpion would go around, try to get out, try to get out, try to get out, realize there's no way out. And it would sting itself in the head and commit suicide and kill itself, which, though it is and was tremendously cruel, I thought that was pretty badass to the scorpion for sure. And I admired the scorpion for that. It realized there was no other options, no other out. And he made a decision and did that, which I thought was pretty badass. My favorite toy, my game when I was a kid, I had like a two-foot Godzilla uh, action figure. He was awesome. It was my favorite. I slept with it. He had a little button on his fist, and you press it, and there's a shitty spring that would so his little fist would come out, and there was a lever on his neck, and his tongue would come out, but it was painted orange and red like it was fire, but it wasn't fire at all. It was just Godzilla's tongue. So you see we're coming from different places of toughness from an early age, you know? <laughs> That's where we came from. So I've told a lot of stories that involve my father, and my mom, and uh, this one I'm going to start AM, after mom, after my father died. That's when the roles were reversed. I started taking care of him. Actually, I, I, I thought about the one thing I thought about today. I remember in the hospital, I saw the moment that he broke when we unplugged her and I made that decision. And he, I saw him break and he had to be taken home. He couldn't even watch her last breath. And I was like, Phew. and so taking care of your father now is something. The first thing that entails is a lot of doctor's appointments, a lot of doctor's appointments, all kinds of different doctors. It's like you have to schedule this shit. He had his general. He had his cardiologist because he had open heart surgery. His uh, orthopedic, his shoulders didn't really work. His hands, he had a hard time with holding things with his hands. Uh, COPD, he had COPD. It was like breath. That, that's something that you, it just basically you can't breathe until you, you, know, you die eventually. It's a very slow thing. Every kind of doctor, orthopedic, pain doctor. And um, it was 
Super hard. The worst thing he had, though, he had a pain doctor because he had spinal stenosis, which is basically something that your spine starts contracting onto your, your nervous system, your nerves. And it's very, very painful. And after a while, he was in a walker, and then he had to be in a wheelchair. I saw an uh, uh, x-ray once of his spine, and it looked like a gnarled corkscrew. It was horrible. And he was in a tremendous amount of pain. And the worst thing about that for him, you know, after my mom died, and his favorite thing was tennis. He loved playing tennis. That was his thing. When, when I was a baby, he fell in love with tennis. And I think it was because growing up poor in Cuba and then coming over here, and it was like a, not only is it a physical thing, he was very active, but it was like a status thing. You, know, you get to go to the club and he gets to hang out play with white people, and they accept him, you know, and it was, you know, it was cool, and he wanted, he always told me, surround yourself with the right people, good people, and he wanted that for me, so he would wake my fucking ass up since I was five, drag me there on, on Sunday mornings when I hated it, and he would bribe me if, uh, if I would go with him after my tennis lesson, I would go to the Circle K and get a comic book, and if I played well, I got two comic books, and, um, so after a while, the comic book stack got pretty fucking high, and I got good, and I played in high school, and I got ranked like top 30 in Florida, and then I wound up going to college on a scholarship, and then I wound up playing some in Europe, but I, I really wasn't that competitive. I didn't really give a shit, and then I started smoking a lot of weed with my friends in high school, and I'd rather do that than hit a tennis ball all day, so I mean, that wasn't really my thing, but, but I wound up, oh, Jesus. But I wound up getting a job teaching tennis after that. I wound up being a really good tennis pro, a tennis instructor. I was a better tennis instructor than I was a player. And I taught a bunch of places all around town, like, you know, Danny Fassell I started, and Ocean Reef Club down in Key Largo, places like that. I'm wearing the little white shorts. I'm teaching people 75 bucks an hour. It was pretty cool. But my favorite job was my last job. I taught at a place called Coral Oaks in Pinecrest. And that was cool because my dad was a member there. And he was super proud. And I would generally teach in the evenings and afternoons. But on Tuesdays, according to my father, Tuesdays is your fucking mind. So I would have to teach him early as shit in the morning on Tuesdays for free, of course, uh, before his work. And he was always trying to get better. He was like in his 70s. And he's just trying to have like just, you know, my backhand. So if I step in and we would work on all this different shit. And he's like 74 at the time. I'm like, hey, Dad, I got 74 reasons your backhand sucks. You know, fuck you, Eric, you know. <laughs> and it sucked for him. Then now he's in a wheelchair, and he's got nothing but time. He's like, it's not fair. I have nothing but time. It was like, it's like that Bemis, uh, Burgess Meredith in that Twilight Zone episode, you know, and his glasses broke and, he, and at the end of the world, and you know, he could read. He's like, I have nothing but time now. I see these fat fox go to the fucking club all the time playing tennis. You know, I worked out my whole life. I can't play anymore. It's not fair. You know, but I still have my hair. I have all the shit he had wrong. He had a full head of white hair, you know? And it was so white. After a little while, like, little black hair started coming. I'm like, Dad, your head's out of fucking white hair. You just have to have black hair again. And he was still funny. That's what he, that's his one thing. That was his weapon that he had. He was funny. Um, he would see... We'd be hanging out, and he would see, like, some really, really old dude walk up that looked worse and older than him. He'd be like, hey, Eric, you probably, probably shouldn't buy any green bananas. Huh? 
<laughs> yeah, that Russian mighty green bananas. Um, or he would, uh, we talk about somebody that died, like an actor or somebody that we all knew. Uh, and he'd be like, oh, so-and-so died. I'm like, how did he die? He's like, oh, he just kind of closed his eyes, put his head to the side. <laughs> like, like, get me every fucking time. It's the same, he would play the hits. He would just fucking hit me with his, these classic dad jokes, and he would just nail me every time. It was fucking hilarious. And then he was always busting my balls. Like, I'd be driving, I'd go get him groceries, and he'd want to come, but he couldn't get out. He didn't want to be a whole thing. So I'd drive up to the grocery store, and, you know, we had a handicap decal, and he'd be like, uh, he'd be like, uh, park in that, he called it the handy. Park in the handy, there's a handy, you know? I'm like, Dad, I can't park in the handy. Why not? I'm like, Dad... What if a real handy shows up and they want to park and I'm, I'm walking, you know? Oh, when did you become such a good person? I'm like, oh, really? Thank you. Okay, I'm going to go get your fucking food now. Um, and then he would embarrass me in public all the time because we're frequently in these waiting rooms. Thank you. We're frequently in these waiting rooms, and it's just super, super uncomfortable, and you're, nobody wants to be there. Everybody's in a bad mood, and sometimes I couldn't even sit next to him. And his whisper voice was louder than his regular voice. And he would frequently be hungry because they would make him not eat the night before to take a blood test or fucking whatever bullshit. It didn't matter. He's going to fucking die. It was all just a ritual. And um, across, the, across the waiting room, hey, Eric. Everybody's quiet. There's like 20 people. Hey, Eric. Yeah, Dad. After we got out of here, you want to go get some Jew food? <laughs> like, everyone's like, what did this guy say? And I can't like explain to the room. He was married to a Jewish woman for half a century. He wants a fucking Nova omelet and a bagel. Yeah. But I can't. You know, I can't say that. And then we would do like, Shortly before he wasn't able to walk, before he had uh, season tickets to the Marlins. So we go to the Marlins games. I would go, I don't give a shit about baseball, but I like going to baseball games with my dad. And uh, we go with him and his, his buddy, his best friend, Fofo. That was his best friend, Fofo. And so we go with Fofo, and uh, we sat in section 249. And it was a particularly extra boring Marlin game one day, and nothing was going on. And we're sitting there on a Sunday afternoon, and this girl, really attractive girl, dressed in like a little tank top, some Daisy Dukes, she comes walking down the aisle, and she had a tray with two hot dogs for her and her boyfriend. And the hot dog buns were regular size, but the hot dogs were just ridiculous, just out and down, just hanging off, super phallic. And, she, and everyone just kind of looks, and she just walks by with... And nobody says shit, it's super quiet. And my dad's like, here, those are some big hot dogs. I'm like, yeah, dad. And then he waits a beat, perfect comic beat. He goes, she'll probably eat one of them. <laughs> what did you just? And I'm horrified. And then I see the guy in front of us, his head starts bobbing up and down. And then all of 249 is cracking the fuck up. I'm like, you motherfucker, like, if I said this, HR's called or security comes over, but you're a cute little Cuban guy, you get away with murder, you know? <laughs> so, uh, and he would get sayings wrong all the time. He was really bad at saying, we had the ball game, and the pitcher's doing bad, and we're just doing horrible. He's like, hey, Eric, they're hitting him like a Christmas tree. I'm like, Dad, 
they're lighting them up like a Christmas tree. Nobody hits a Christmas tree. All right? Get your shit straight, you know? Shut the fuck off. He said, shut the fuck off, he would tell you, you know? It was always, when I was a kid, it was always the wrong time to correct him. He was really mad. He would tell me to shut the fuck off. I'm like, no, Dad, it's on. It's like you're accenting on, but I can't explain basic English to him and sings in a moment of crisis. Shut the fuck off. Like it's a faucet of fuck. So a little while after that, he got really, really, he had a fever. He got really sick and it was bad and he couldn't move. He couldn't even get up. I had to call the paramedics and they took him to the hospital. And it turns out he had blood poisoning and they didn't know he was going to make it. And I was in the hospital with him all the time. And he was just shivering. He was a mess. He had a catheter in his dick. He was shitting himself. They kept trying to clean that up. And he was just a sweaty mess. And it was horrible for days and days I was there with him in the hospital at night. And he kept saying, he kept seeing shit, hallucinating. Hey, Eric, you don't see the, the, the little girl and the woman with the, red dre- the green dress? I don't, you know, and he swore he saw that shit, and it was really bad. And a few days in, I didn't really think he was going to make it. And I didn't know what the fuck he was holding on to. Like, it was all gone for him, you know? And, but he's just one of these old fucking tough Cuban guys. He's too tough to die. And he was just sitting there, but I thought he was going to die that night. And I'm like, Dad, it's okay. You can let go. I'm going to be fine. Okay, if you see mom, go to her. It's okay. And, of course, he made it. And he was in the hospital emergency room for ICU for two weeks and then recovery for two weeks. And I got him out. I took him home. He didn't remember shit. The the ghost, the little girl, shit I said, anything. You know, when I was talking to him, he was, like, incoherent. Until, like, two or three, like, weeks later... I'm sitting there on a Sunday again at home on the couch watching TV, watching, watching the Marlins, the fucking Marlins. And he goes, hey, Eric, uh, when I was in the hospital, did you tell me to die? <laughs> I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, really? Of the one fucking thing you remember. I seem to remember you told me to die. You were asking me, do you want me to die? I'm like, no, Dad, I thought I was, like, helping you, like, cross over. I was, you know, if you want me to die, just say die. You don't even have to be so, like, ah, fucking guy. So, shortly after that, I mean, it was hard to schedule all these doctor's appointments. It was seriously a part-time job for me. And I found this beautiful thing that is very Miami. It's called Leon Medical Center. And you might have seen the buses around. Leon Medical Center was a magical place that made my life so much better. It's basically, they're like shopping centers. There's one motherfucker talking all the time. Please, just give me five more minutes. Thank you. So, thank you. I'm almost done. And... Leo Medical Center was great. It's like a full, like a shopping center. It's like four stories of every fucking doctor in the world. You go there. There's your primary there. There's your cardiologist. You can get an x-ray. They'll, they'll trim your toes if you want, your toenails. They'll fucking do anything. There's a domino room. And 
all these, there's like hundreds and hundreds of little viejitos there every day. They take the bus there. And I'm like the only one that takes my dad there. Everybody else makes their parents take the bus. Or they just take the bus there because there's nothing else to do. It's a hang. They all just hang out. There's hundreds of old people around. And there's this cafeteria that everything's free. There's fucking cafecitos, cafe con leche, pan con jamón, fucking croquetas, woo, and fucking guava pastries. And everybody's just like, and I would always get, you know, a cafe con leche for my dad before we left. And I'm there like nudging out. And there's these old people are like nudging me. I'm the old, I'm the one young guy there. I'm the Steve Gutenberg from Cocoon of fucking Leo Medical Center. They're looking at me like, what the fuck are you doing here? I'm like, yes, I'm a good fucking son. Where's your fucking kid, dick? What'd you do wrong, motherfucker? Anyway, give me a fucking coffee. I'll let you for my dad. I'll be on my way. So uh, that was awesome. And then around this, I really need some help now. Now my dad needs 24-hour care. And my dad's cousin from Cuba happened to be moving to Miami. His cousin, he hasn't seen her since he was 11, and she was much younger than him. And named Tanya. She moved over here, and she happened to be a nurse in Cuba. So that was, like, incredible for me because she was able to, you know, feed him, do his laundry, and she needed a place to stay, so she lived with him, which is awesome, this bitch. Anyway, so he, she moved here, and she moved here with her dog, Laika Maria. That's the name of her Cuban street dog that she brought off the street from Cuba, Laika Maria. And Laika Maria <laughs> only ate Cuban food, this little dog, only ate Cuban food, would not eat regular food, whatever they made, but she lived to be 17 years old. So those of you who have like special diets for your dog, throw in a little fucking lechon, <laughs> platanos, whatever. She lived to be like forever. So she just recently died. But yeah, that was her. Um, the thing at the time was last three or four years of my dad's life, I had to bathe him every day. That's the one thing that Tanya couldn't do. Uh, if he were to fall over or something, that would be bad. Plus, I think my dad was kind of ashamed. So that was my new ritual for about three or four years of my life. I couldn't do a lot of time. I wanted to tour and do a lot of stuff with my band. I couldn't. I had to drive to his house and bathe them every day. And that bathroom became our confessional. That was like our spot that you'd be naked, and uh, he would speak to me, and he would talk about all the things that happened to him that I never knew and the horrible things that he did in his life that I can't even tell you that he would tell me. And he would say, oh, Eric, what am I doing here, Eric, still? I don't want to be here anymore. I'm, I'm a burden and I'm in pain. And if I knew I could just see your mother, then I would, I would end it right now. I would end it right now, you know? And that's when we started talking about possibilities for him to kill himself that's when the suicide discussion started every day we discussed every day was a daily thing and he would have these fucking horrible ideas he'd be like okay i have an idea so i get my gun and i put it here right and i put it my thumb and i, go, bah, and I shoot my heart is that a good idea no dad that's a really really bad idea so he had this, like, shitty Brazilian five-fucking-bullet revolver that I'm like, Dad, you can't even hold a fork. What are you doing? Like, you're going to wing yourself, or you're going to shoot Tanya or your fucking dog. No, really bad idea. Horrible idea. Don't do that. 
And then, so shortly after that, I was like a little scared. So I, I took his gun without him knowing. And uh, he calls me a couple days later. He's like, did you take my fucking gun? I'm like, yeah, I took your fucking gun. Are you fucking nuts? What are you doing? You know, he's like, I'm still your father. I want you to bring me back my gun, okay? Next time you come over, you bring my gun. I'm like, okay, I brought, brought him his gun. brought it back. But uh no bullets. <laughs> he was pissed, but I mean, what's he going to do at this point, you know? So, uh, so at this point now, he's starting to research ways. The, the problem with him mainly was they gave him a million pain pills, low-dose pain pills. But the problem with my father was he was super allergic. Every time he took pain pills, shortly after, he'd get lethargic and he would vomit. And then the pain doctor, they tried different things. Pain patches would pass him out. I couldn't, like, he couldn't even get into his wheelchair. Or the epidural is a needle you put in your spine. After a while, his spine was so grafted together, the needle didn't even fit in there. But what he really wanted was sleeping pills. But none of the doctors were fucking stupid enough to give him sleeping pills. He was running on 15% of his heart. And sleeping pills slow your heart down. So he's like, hey, Eric, give me, give, me, give me some sleep. You know, I know you can get drugs, Eric. Go get some sleeping pills. I'm like, yeah, thanks, Dad. Okay. No, um, so I looked into it. And turns out, if there's any evidence of foul play at all, it doesn't matter. I talked to a fireman friend of mine. And if there's any evidence of sketchy, they could do some check. And if there's some something in the system that wasn't prescribed, I can go to jail. So I told my dad, I'm like, Dad, I can go to jail if I give you this, you know. Oh, Eric, nobody cares about an old man like me, you know. I just, give me some sleeping pills, Eric. I just want to go like Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> I'm like, Dad, you're not Marilyn Monroe. Nobody wants to find you OD'd on sleeping pills with your robe on the fucking bed naked at all. So, and after, after all, yeah, yes, just my father, Marilyn Monroe, that's how he wanted to go. That was his thing. So after a while, I mean, this started fucking with me, though. So for like three or four years of my life, every day I'm stopping my day and I'm going there and I'm having a conversation with my father, strategizing how he can kill himself. And after a while, I'm like, Dad, if you're going to kill yourself, just fucking kill yourself. Stop talking about it. You're fucking my shit up, you know. So Eric. It's not easy to do. And I got nobody to tell, talk about. I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm such a dick. Jesus Christ. I'm like, all right, so we'll keep talking about it. And, you know, I put that on my back. So time passes. We don't talk about that shit for a while. And he knows, you know, every Tuesday is the day that I have to wake him up. There are certain days that Tanya would go into Hialeah, whatever, that would be her day. And I would get there, and I'd wake him up, I'd spend the whole day, I'd do laundry, and I'd fucking feed him, and that was my whole long day. Sometimes it was Fridays, whatever, other days, but Tuesdays was always the day. And so, which is really weird, because everybody died on a Tuesday in my life, which is really weird. I'm trying to figure that out. So I go there on a Tuesday to wake him up, and he always, every time I woke him up, he's like, I'm like, oh, fuck, he's dead. And then, <laughs> he wakes up. I'm like, Jesus Christ, you know? This Tuesday, I come. I got my laundry. I let his dog out and uh, open the shades. And I'm like, hey, Dad, come on. Let's get up. Come on, Cinderella. Let's go. And I grab his ankle, and it's just super cold. I'm like, Whew. 
finally happened. I'm looking at him, and he's got his mouth open, and he's staring at the ceiling, and he's gone. And it's not a drill anymore. This is something that you think you know it's going to happen, but you never think it's really going to happen. And one of any of these things could have happened. It could have been COB. His heart was like ready to go. It's amazing he lasts as long as he did. And so I sat there and I looked at him. And I went to my car. I got to my clothes. And I just started doing laundry. And hung out with him for a while. Just sat there. Went out with his dog. And then... So finally, I called my girlfriend at the time, told her to come over, and I called Tanya, and I called the police. My girlfriend comes over. She's bawling. She's a fucking mess. I immediately regretted it. she never seen a dead body. Fucking rookie. And, um, and um, the police come over, and they're, they're cool, but they're like, okay, we need, like, you got to go out there. And the detective comes, and they check my dad out to make sure there's no foul play. And they check them out, and they come out, and they're like, sorry for your loss. And then the same cremation place that uh, took my mom, they had prepaid for, was going to come take my dad. But they're up in Plantation. My dad lives down south by the fall, so it's going to be a minute. So Tanya and the Cuban family come in, and they're just crying, and they're bawling, and they're freaking out. And I'm just, I don't need this. I'm like, really? You didn't see this shit coming? Like, he's fucking 22, and he got hit by a bus. Really? You're super surprised. And I had to, like make them leave, and I'm just like, I just need to just leave. I'm going to sit with my father for a while. I close the door, and he's there. It was weird. I took pictures of him that I still have and everything. It was strange. And um, I look, and his nightstand is a bit of a cubby hole. And I look in there, and there's his water with a straw. And his water's empty, which is weird because he never liked to drink his water because he doesn't want to have to get up to pee because it's a whole thing getting in a wheelchair. And then I look, and then one of the huge pill things of pain pills that he couldn't take was empty. And I had asked him before, too. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot a whole thing. Uh, I had asked him before, like, how he would do it with the pain. He's like, oh, no, after the bullet thing. He's like, oh, I went on the Google, and the Google... And I went on the Google, and I heard that if you, you break up the pills and you, you make it into, into like powder form, you can put it into water, and, you could, it, and it'll take effect before, before I will throw up, you know. And so I looked, and there was a Ziploc bag and a little hammer, and just powder in a Ziploc bag, empty. And there was, like, this, like, protein shaker of, like, one of his, like, energy drinks. He would drink his protein drinks with a little metal swiggly thing in it. And I opened it up, and there was just a little bit of chalky water on the bottom. And I was like, you son of a bitch. You did it. You pulled it off. Cops didn't even know, stupid. And I was like, you pulled it off. And I was like, I was so... I was so proud of him. I was like, you knew I was coming this morning. You knew I would be the one to find you. And you fucking did it on your own terms. The one bit of control you had left in your life, you did it on your own terms. And just like that fucking scorpion that he used to play with when he was a kid, that didn't see a way out, 
from his ring of fire. My fucking father did it. Toughest motherfucker I ever met. Thank you.